Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to learn your, from your word. We ask you to guide and lead us and let your spirit lead in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 24. We're going to be in verse 14 as we continue Joshua's goodbye. It only goes for two chapters, but we've already spent uh, three weeks on it. So. <laughs> so verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served which were in the other side of the flood or the god for the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us out, up out, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all in the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. All right, so we're going to stop there because remember we've, we've had uh, Joshua give him a little bit of history in the previous section, just like Moses did in his farewell. And, in, and we've talked about this in Moses' case. His farewell was the entire book of Deuteronomy. Um, and Joshua's not quite as long-winded, <laughs> but he is giving them their history. And he goes in verse 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. He's saying, worship God. Jesus said, worship, we worship in spirit and in truth. And here, basically, Joshua is telling them the same thing. You're to worship God in truth. Don't be pretending to worship him. And, you know, hopefully we're not pretending to worship him, but we've all done it at some point in time where we, you know, go to church, but we're really not worshiping God, or we're telling people we're a Christian, but we're really not worshiping God. And Joshua is telling his people, don't just pretend. Don't just go through the actions. You're not going to the temple on, the, well, the tabernacle at the time on the Sabbath and giving your sacrifice and making everybody think that you're serving God. He goes, do it in truth. And this is something that is very important for us to understand. Uh, God treats it very strictly. He told the people, I want it done the way I want it done and, and you're to worship me. Ananias and Sapphira, if you know the story in Acts, they come to uh, Barnabas, gave, sold a piece of property and gave all the money to the church. Ananias and Sapphira got kind of jealous. He got all this recognition. We're going to go sell a piece of property. We're going to give part of the money to the church, but we're going to tell them we gave all of it. And both of them were struck dead by God. They didn't have to sell the property. They didn't have to give. And even after the, and as Peter said to them, you know, it was yours. You didn't have to give you didn't have to give any of it. You didn't have to give all of it. But don't try to tell us that you gave all. They were trying to look good amongst the church, to the church. They wanted the church to think they were just like Barnabas and had given all. And that was the problem. It wasn't that they kept back, the, kept back and nobody told them to sell it. All right, so and he says, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. The flood refers to Jordan. And in 
Egypt. Now we mentioned this way back when we were studying Exodus. <laughs> when the people left, when the people left Egypt, they had been greatly influenced by the Egyptian religion. They were not following God. They were not seeking after God all that much. God was the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and was not real to them in any way, shape, or form for the most part. They were just stories. And they were their worship really came down to the gods of Egypt. And remember, one of the things that God did in the Ten Plagues was he destroyed the gods of Egypt. That was as much for the Jewish Hebrew people as it was for the Egyptians. All these, all these gods that you think you're wanting to follow are nothing. Our God is the God to follow. And this oftentimes happens when somebody grows up in a church and spends their entire life with, in, in the church. Oftentimes it can become, well, those are just stories. God's not real. And, you know, we got to be careful, even as Christians, you know, that get saved later on in life, that we don't just start seeing these things as, oh, they're just stories. It's not real. And this is when God said in Revelation that I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. You are no longer attached to me as your God. You're, you're just kind of going through the motions. And it's real easy to go through the motions if you're not careful. Okay, I go to church. God, I gave you my one day a week. You know, or God, I really spiritual, I give you the three, three times in the average church, or in our church, the five times a week. I'm there all the time. I'm, I'm giving, you, you know, giving you my lip service, but are we living the way he wants us to live? And this is what's important. Do we take what we learn and apply it to our life? When people look at us, they say, well, that's what a Christian's supposed to do. They are different from the world. Our verse for last month was, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our time in God's word should be changing the way we think, changing the way we act. If there's no difference between what you are today and what you were last, you know, last year or a decade ago, you need to really look and say, Is my relationship with God truly real? Am I applying what I'm learning? And it's very important that we get out there and apply and give up all other gods. And, you know, many of us have gods that are working and trying to work in our lives. I know people whose sports are their, are their god. They live, drink, eat, breathe their sports, whatever sport it might be. And you talk to them and all they want to do is talk about their sports. You know, the sport, their sport, whatever it is. And they can tell you everything about their team or their or the person, they can tell you everything there is to know about that, that sport. Ask them anything about God, and it's like, well, you know, I read my Bible once in a while. How important is it to you? you know, how about somebody who knows what's on TV every hour of the day and knows exactly what they're going to watch every, you know, they may only know the three or four channels that they normally watch, but they also kind of sometimes know what, what else is on there. You know, see how much they know about the Bible. Now, I've had people tell me they can't memorize the Bible, but they know the television schedule, they know their sports schedule, uh, they know the, you know, they know every song that they listen to, but they cannot memorize scripture. And we laugh about that, but you know, it's really sad. What it's basically saying is God's word is not important enough to me to invest the time that it takes to learn it. How do we learn God's word? 
Well, one of the things I say is just keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. And over a period of time, it, all of a sudden, you now know that verse. <laughs> it sticks into, remove the gods that are not God in our life. And then he says in verse 15, and I love this because this is a, this is a verse, we're not going to memorize this next month, people, but it's a verse that I have memorized. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that served on, on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites who, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we, I will, ser- we will serve the Lord. Uh, you know, so he's saying, you know, who are you going to serve? The gods, the gods that, have been, that your parents have followed? the gods that are all around you. And remember, they have not kicked out all the nations from around them. There's a lot of idolatry still going on within their country. They have put them under submission, but these people are still around them. And one of the things that really we had to be very careful of is who do we spend our time around? If we're spending our time around the lost world, or spending our time watching television all the time, and we're going, well, it's not affecting me. It will affect you. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people going, well, man, I don't even know where that came from. Well, I think if you really think about the shows you're watching, you probably figure out where that statement and where that attitude came from. You know, who are you spending your time with? What are you spending time with? And that's very critical for us. You know, we become like what we spend time with. And this is in worship, God says that when we, whatever we worship, we will become like. If we are worshiping God, we will become like him. If you want to worship Astoroth, then you will become like what you're worshiping, which is sex. <laughs> if you're worshiping Moloch, you, you will become what, he, what Moloch represents, which is business and doing what it takes to be number one in business. You become what you worship. And what you spend your time with, you become like. So Joshua is telling them, you know, choose you. Choose this day. Are you following these other gods? And I love what he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's a bold statement. He says, I am going to lead my children to worship God. Now, he couldn't make them worship God, but he's, you know, this is something I've heard even Christian families saying. Well, I'm not going to make my teenager come to church because he can just choose what he wants. I'm going to go back to what, what uh, Joshua said. As for me and my house, you are going to go to church. When you get out of my house, you can do what you want to do, but you're going to church while you're in my house. And my kids knew that was going to be the case. They knew they were going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. There wasn't any choice in the matter. The family was going to church. Can we make them become a Christian? Absolutely not. But you know what? I'm going to give them every opportunity to hear God's word. All you can do is raise them up the right way and hope that it sticks. Because if it doesn't become real, it's not real. And this is something, when I got saved at 10 years old, it was real. I was saved, and I wanted to be in church. I wanted to study God's word. I wanted to be around God's people. And at 10 years old, it was hard to go to church on my own. The church bus ran Sunday morning. That's when I could go to church. 
The one most wonderful thing was when my dad took me to church on Sunday night when I was 12 years old and he got saved and we went to church every day thereafter. And I was excited. I was excited. I was going to get to go to church more than just Sunday morning. And choose this day who you, who you will serve. And draw, draw your family into that realm. And I know I'm talking to everybody here that has older kids now, but you know, hopefully you did bring your kids to church and try to raise them up the right way. But, you know, Joshua's study is choose, choose. But it is important that we set the standard with people, and not artificially, not, not pretending. I mean, to, to go to church just to be saying, I went to church, isn't the right answer. Now, it does get you where you're, where you're supposed to be. You'll hear God's word, hopefully, if it's a good church. And it is, a, it is a benefit, but it's much better to want to go, want to hear, and want to see how, how it's going to change your life. And this is what Josh was saying. I've made, my, my family has made the decision, we're going to serve God in spite of all that's going on. Now, he made his, he made his choice long before this, this message because he was serving God. And if you remember, all through the Exodus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, wherever Moses was, Joshua was there. Okay, Joshua went to the tab- tabernacle. There was Joshua. You know, uh, he was with he was with them all the time, except when he's leading the army and stuff, doing things for him. But he was wherever Moses was, he was there. When they weren't fighting or anything, he was where Moses was. He was wanting to hear. God's man speak. And this is something that's very important. Do we take these opportunities to hear people speak? You talked about having your radio on. I've shared with you, when, I, when I'm in my car, the Christian radio is on, and by preference, it's on the, one of the two channels that is almost strictly preaching. Pretty much, I'm on those channels all the time, listening to messages. Why? Because I want to be fed as much as I want to, to feed people, and I want to get new input in my life. Because otherwise, you all get stuck with what do I know and, and what little I know. You know. This way, I get other people putting it into my mind and get stretched. Doesn't mean I agree with every word I hear on those, <laughs> of those speakers, but they sometimes challenge me to think. They challenge me to think in ways I'd never thought about. And it's very important. If you're always listening to a pastor that you always agree with, you need to stretch yourself. Because <laughs> there's, you know, there's a danger in that. Because if all you're hearing is what you already agree with, then you've got a problem. You need to be challenged. You need to be convicted <laughs> of where you're at. And it's very important. Now, you need one teacher that's your primary teacher that says, this is, my, this is the one I go to. But you should be able to listen to other people. And you should be able to glean from just about anybody who speaks. Verse 19, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, it is, he it is that brought us up out of, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great things and signs in our sight and preserved us in, in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we pr- passed. And I kind of like their answer, you know, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord. This is a people that as soon as they got out of Egypt, worshipped a golden calf because Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days getting the, getting the law, and they decided that he, he must have got lost up there in the mountain or hurt or something, so we're going to make some other god. They're, they're the ones that, that had problems when Balaam and, 
and uh, Balak sent the, the women in to tempt them to worship idols. You know, over and over again, they had forsaken God and turned their back on him. And here they are saying the same thing they did in Mount Sinai, because remember, at Mount Sinai, they said, we will obey all that the Lord says. Now, these people were very quick to agree, we're going to serve God. But when it came down to the actual walking of serving God, oftentimes they did not follow God. And, you know, we don't want to cast dispersions on them because we do the same thing all the time. God, I, I, yeah, God, I agree with what you said in the word. I'm going to walk in it. And then the next day we wake up and we totally forget about what we told him we were going to do. And we go right off and do the sin that he convicted us that we're not supposed to do. So we're no better off than they are. In one sense, though, I kind of have a hard time because God fed them every morning. He gave them manna in the morning, quail in the evening, water from a rock that, that, they, that they just took along with them, and a whole river of water came out of. Well, they had more tangible. They had more tangible sight, yeah. And it's kind of hard that they would reject him, but by the same token, it just proves that it doesn't matter what happens in our life, we will still reject God. And this is what a lot of people say, well, if I just saw, if I just had this happen, if I just, if this, if God spoke to me out loud, I would, I would pay attention. What was Jesus' answer in the parable of the, of the rich man and Lazarus? Even if one returned from the dead, your brothers would not listen. How did he know that? Because the children of Israel didn't listen, and they had all these tangible proofs. You're, you're being fed, you're being watered. You, they heard God speak from the mountain and still rebelled against him. You know, they told Moses, you go talk to God. We don't even want to hear him. We're scared of him. And every time they turned around, they were rejecting him. Here they are saying the same thing they've been saying. Whatever he requires of us, we will do. And, you know, why will we do it? Hey, he's the one that took us out of Egypt. He's the one that's been feeding us. All these things you kept reminding us about in the previous chapter, you know, we recognize he did all those things. And it says, and God drove out the enemies in front of us. He drove out the Amorites. He's given us victories in, the, in verse 18. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. You know, they're making this promise to serve God. And looking back over what he has done. Verse 19, Joshua's response. Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. So here's an interesting interchange. Because Joseph, uh, Joseph, I can't want to say Joseph. Joshua understands their heart. He understands their tendencies. Why? Well, he's been with them for, for 40 years in the wilderness. <laughs> Plus, plus the time in Egypt, plus the time in the promised land, he knows that they tend to not obey God. And that's what he says, you cannot serve the Lord. And you know what? What he's basically saying is, in your flesh, you've just told us you're going to serve God, but in your flesh, in your own strength, you cannot serve the Lord. And that's something we need to tell ourselves. In my flesh... I cannot serve the Lord. I cannot do what the Lord wants me to do 
in my own strength. And this is what he's saying. You can't, you know, you guys aren't going to do it. You've said you're going to do it, but you won't do it. And why? Because he is a holy God and jealous. And jealous, we've talked about before, is that whole idea that he will not allow anything to take his place. And this is what true jealousy is about. You know, normally when we hear the word jealousy, we think about jealousy is all bad. No, there's a good element to jealousy that says, you know, the husband seeing some guy making a play for his wife is not going to let that person get away with it, and that's a good jealousy if it's an actual uh, move on his wife. Now, if he's just, she's just hanging out with him and having a good time talking, probably not the best thing in the world, but it's not a place for jealousy. You know, uh, a woman who won't let her husband out of her sight because she's so afraid that he's going to stray is probably not jealous, proper jealousy. Now, they are jealous, but it's not proper because she should have some trust. <laughs> now, if she knows that there's a woman making a play for her husband, then there's a proper place for jealousy, saying, no, this is not going to happen. God's jealousy says, I am not going to let any idols take over in your life. Nothing is going to take my place in your life, and that's what he's talking about, true jealousy, righteous jealousy. And he says, God is holy. You know, because he is holy and he is jealous, you are not going to be able to serve him. And he says, he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. All right? God has a point in his forgiveness where he says, I'm done. Now, what that point is for people, we don't know. For us as Christians, we're his children and our sin is under the blood. But there is a point when God says, you've sinned too much, world, you're not, I'm not talking to you anymore. Where that point is, I don't know. I'm going to treat them as if they still have a chance, always. But I've heard different pastors on the radio, especially if we talk, they're talking about how they talk to people who just tell them, I cannot turn to God anymore. Now, we know that that's not a true statement, but in their heart, they've said no to God so many times that they're not willing to say yes to him. And this is something we need to be careful of. We can get that way even as Christians where we just, we've so much sinned, we've heard the word so many times, we've hardened our heart that we will not, of our own volition, turn to God. And if you're a child of God doing that, he'll take you home. If you're a lost person, he'll just leave you alone and eventually take you home as well. But, you know, we need to be careful. And we've shared this before, and I love it. Uh, Greg Laurie has said this, and I'm not sure that he's original, but he says the easiest place to get a hard heart is in the church, where you hear God's message over and over again, and if you reject it and reject it and reject it, your ears become very hard and calloused, and you no longer hear the message. And this could be for Christians, uh, um, if God's dealing with you on a sin, or the lost world hearing the gospel. There can become that point where you just say, I'm not, I've heard it so many times, it just washes right off your, right off your, right off you. And one of the things that I've been hearing a lot on the radio is how the church has been compromised so much. You know, that we no longer, and for many churches, preach the gospel of God. We don't preach sin is sin. And you know, the sad thing is, I know that there are a lot of churches out there that don't preach that sin is sin because they're afraid of losing people if they say that something's a sin. 
God calls it a sin, I'm going to call it a sin. And we've got to quit compromising. We've got to quit being conformed to this world. Too much of what we do as Christians is conformed to this world and not transformed to God's way of thinking. And it can be any number of things, any number of things, the, the sins we allow in our life, the activities we allow in our lives, uh, you know, that compromise who we are and make it that we can't share God with people because of who we really are and how we can lead people astray by the sins in our life that we allow. And you know, we'll go, and we'll, do, and we'll use this, well, I have liberty, God's grace will cover it, and he'll forgive me, and you know what, all of that stuff is true. But you know, we've got to be very careful. How many people are going to be led into hell because of our compromises? And they look at us and say, well, that person over there, they drink, they're a Christian. You know, and maybe they can drink and get away with it. But then they start drinking because they see another Christian and they become an alcoholic and end up not getting saved out of, out of it or ruining their entire life. We need to be very careful that we don't do things that are going to harm people. Paul said, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are expedient. And what he meant by that, as he goes on to say, is he could do anything. Now, we, we're allowed by grace to do anything we want to do. But much of it is not necessarily good. You know, God will forgive somebody who lies. But if your habit is to always lie and you get known as a liar, you're not going to have much of a testimony before other people. You know, if you can have the right to, and in Paul's case, he was talking about eating meat from offered to idols. He goes, they're just a hunk of, hunk of metal and, and wood. There's no big deal for me to eat their, eat their food. But he says, if it bothers another person and keeps them from coming to Christ, he would rather not eat that meat than eat it and let somebody go to hell. Now, we need to be aware of this. We, by God's grace, can do anything other than the handful of things that God says are clearly sins. But sometimes it's not the best thing for us to do because it may hurt somebody else. Sometimes I get the feeling that people aren't watching this as much because they're so wrapped up in what well, we've covered this before. You've said that before. And I will, and I will say, continue to say, I think if you're sharing God with people, you're being watched a lot more than you think you're being watched. But they watch your life. If you're saying, talking to people about Christ, people are watching how you react to the things around you. How do you react when something goes wrong? How, you know, how, do, you, how do you react when this happens? How do you react when that happens? It, it's an amazing thing because people watch. Over the years, it has come to me over a lot. I shared with you the time that I was driving the youth to Phoenix when I first moved here, and I got pulled over because I got caught in a speed trap I didn't know anything about, and I didn't see the speed limit change. But I was respectful to the officer, and I was not cursing the officer when they walked away with my stuff. And one of the kids go, well, that's not the way my dad acts when he gets pulled over. I'm going, well, I didn't see the sign change, so but I still deserve whatever comes my way. and. But that had an impact on those youth in that van because this was a, how does a Christian react to authority and it made an impression on them because it was something that happens. Uh, I've shared with you the other day, it was actually a couple months ago now, but one of the inmates came up to me, why are you always so happy? You always seem to have a good, be in good spirits. Opportunity to share Christ with them. You know, people are watching you. They want, to, they want to see something that's different. And if you really are showing them something different, eventually they're going to they're gonna look for why are you different. 
maybe what you're saying is really, really real. But if you react just like they do and get angry when something happens and you're, and you're in your flesh and everything, they'll look at you and say, well, no, that's not what I want. I don't want anything that they have because they're just like me. When I would stay calm in a pressure situation as a restaurant manager, people would go, how do you, how do, you do this? How do you stay so calm in the middle of all this? Golden opportunity to say Christ is, Christ is reigning in me. But I can tell you people, if you're telling people that you're a Christian and people are looking at you and saying, what, what do they mean to be a Christian? And the world is critical on us. I can tell you right now, the world is critical on us. They expect perfection. Now, we can't be perfect, but the world expects us to be perfect. All we can do is try to be the best representation of God that we can be. And be kind, be generous, and, and help them out as we go along. Sometimes I think, I don't make, I, a lot of times I don't make sure I'm very good examples. I'll fall back into the ways of the world. Yes, I mean, it makes sense of what you're saying, but I want to point to you, what you just shared Sunday, his, uh, or last Sunday, whatever day it was, how your parents and your family are noticing the changes in you, even though you may not feel like you're doing the best job, they are noticing the changes in you and they're making the comments back to you, which is, the, which is going to be the first step of maybe eventually being able to reach them in a deeper way. But if, you, if they watch your life long enough they should see you becoming more godly, and especially with family. Family should see us becoming more and more godly as we walk with God, and they may not believe it at first. They're obviously not going to believe it at first. They're, you know, it's just another phase. You're, you're, you're going to grow out of it. You're just trying to manipulate everybody, but as you continue to walk in that way, they go, well, maybe it's, more than a, maybe it's more than just a phase. Maybe this is something real. And they start watching you, and they see the changes, and that'll open up their desire to get to know God. And, you know, will it be 100%? No. But, you know, it's, it's what, we, what we have to do. We share with Christ, and then we live Christ in front of people. When, when things go wrong, we depend on God, and we praise God, and we go forward. When we fail, we repent, and we go... <laughs> And we go forward. And God will redeem those times too because one of the things they're looking at is how do we respond? We sometimes think that we really screwed up and they're never going to accept Jesus because, you know, I blew it. But they watch you and when you repent and you keep following God and ask for forgiveness for what you've done, they're going, well, now there's something different about the, there is something different about them. They're not trying to justify it like we would. They're not trying to explain it away like we would. They just keep going forward with God and that is what they want. They want to see something that's real. So there's some, more like a two-pawn attack. So there's one thing that's like two things and maybe even more than Well, it's the whole way you live, living for God. And just realizing that even when you fail, as long as you don't wallow around in the mud for a year or two, you're still an example to them because you repent, you, you go back to, and you go right back to God and they see God's grace in action and keep moving forward. You know, they don't want to, actually, if you were to live a perfect life in front of them, number one, they wouldn't believe it's real. And even if they did, they would go, I could never do that. Now, many people I've witnessed to, well, I can't give up this, that, and the other thing. I'm going, who's asking you to? Well, isn't that what Christians are supposed to do? Well, you will, you will give them up, but nobody's asking you to do that. God will give you the strength to give them up. And this is the wonderful thing when we're, you know, 
when we're witnessing to people and sharing God with people, our goal is not to get them to become good people. Our goal is to get them to become in Christ, and he will make them a better person. Okay? I'm not sitting out there saying, okay, you've got to give up your drugs and your alcohol and your, and your girlfriend and, and this, that, or the other thing. I'm going, come to Christ. If he's indwelling you, then all of a sudden... <laughs> He starts living out of you and you start saying, oh, uh, I guess I better give up some of these things. Many Christians have this idea of, well, let me get this person off their drugs and I'll share the gospel with them. Let me get them off their alcohol and I'll share the gospel with them. Let me, you know, once they're sober, I'll, I'll, I'll give the gospel to them. Once they, once they stop having this uh, fornication parties that they've been having, I'll, I'll share the gospel with them. I don't want to see that, to be honest. I want to see them come to Christ and let Christ change who they are. Make them a new creation. Because if they start doing it on their own, they're going to get self-righteous and think, well, I don't need God, like most self-righteous people do. Well, I've, I've got it all together. I'm doing all these good things. I don't need God. You know, religious people are the hardest ones to witness to. Those who don't know God and are just religious. And you can hear, well, I go to church every Sunday, and what do you learn in church? Well, I do my time with God. You know, I, I give lots of money away to God. Okay, why are you giving it? Well, I just think I have to. <laughs> Buying my way into heaven. <laughs> but, you know, we need to be very careful. What example are we showing? And here he's saying, Joshua's telling him, you know, you're not going to be able to do it. And he says, if you continue to forsake God and follow other gods, it's going to bring destruction upon you. And that's what he said. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, he will turn and do hurt, do you hurt, and consume you after that he, he has done good. So after he's done all these good things for you, if you want to turn from him, you'll be punished. There's a conflict in our society. One of the gods that many people follow is their career, their debt. And people find that admirable with people. Yet it's what you're saying is it's not. It's not abnormal, and this is a problem that we're having in this day, uh, trying to get as much money as you can, and you hear it all the time. Well, both the mother and the father both have to work because you can't afford to live without them. Well, cut back a little bit. Don't try to, you don't have to have the 55-inch TV and two, two brand-new cars and the, and the house in the, in the $500,000 community. And you have to in our society, that's, but that goes to what the Bible verse that we've been talking about. Be not conformed to this world. What sacrifices are you willing to make to follow God? And he says, don't, don't you know, the, you're a servant to the lender if you borrow. And we have an entire generation that is so full of debt. What is, the last thing I heard, I think, was the average debt in America is 38000 or something per person. And that's not counting their house. But you think about this. If you want to even get a nice car, you know, you want to get a brand new car, you know, there, a lot of people are talking thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for a car. And I can't even begin to understand why a car could be worth that much. Uh, and then they get two cars. One for the wife, one for the husband, plus their overpriced house that they're paying on, plus their credit card debts of, of $30,000, But just be aware that, you know, are we being conformed to the, to the world? Are we doing what the rest of the world does? Do we think like the rest of the world does? You know, and this goes down to even uh, as far as what things do we think are funny 
as opposed to not funny? Do we follow the world's view of funny? And I've shared with you guys, I can't watch most of what's on TV that is supposed to be funny. I don't find it funny to make fun of marriage and fidelity and, and honoring, honoring your, your wife. I don't find it fun to be funny to be looking at people having an adulterous affair or having homosexual uh, relationships being praised. And I don't think it's funny when I watch these children running the households and everything. I watched a commercial this morning where they were showing the, the teenager, you know, the parents are wondering how they're going to get everything done and he gets on the phone and he goes, your parking space is paid and you've got your appointment and you've got this. It irritated me to see that because it was just the disrespect that this world shows to what God says is important. You know, yes, it's probably true that the kids can run a computer better than most parents and, and get things done, but it's still we're seeing this over and over. We've got government uh, PSAs now that are having children go tell your parents they need to do this, that, or the other thing. Implication, your parents are so stupid, you have to tell them what, what they need to be doing. You know, we need to be very careful about all of this. What do we find funny? What do we find entertaining? Is it following scripture? Or are we just conforming to the world? And, you know, people have learned very quickly there's some jokes I just don't want to hear. And I'm going to tell them that I don't want, especially once I realize where it's going, nope, I don't want to hear it. Or I don't find that funny. And it's very important. What, how are we conformed? Are we following God and conforming to him? Or are we conforming to this world and its standards in every different aspect that we have? And, you know, the sad thing is we'll never be done with it. <laughs> We'll never be done with it because we'll always be learning. And his standards, as we get more of his standards, he'll reveal some other area of our life that doesn't, doesn't that we're out of conformity with. And he, he will move it along for us. So anyway, he says, put away your strange gods. And he says, uh, your witnesses that you have agreed that you are going to serve God. In other words, by your own mouth, You've made confession that you're going to serve God. And they agreed, yes, we're going to serve God. And one thing we, that this brings us into is when you make a vow or a promise before God, keep that word. Verse, when you make a vow or a promise, God expects it to be kept. He expects people to be individuals of their word. If you say you're going to do something, even if it becomes the worst possible thing for you to do, you better... Keep your word, because God expects it. He expects us to be truthful people. It is better to not make an agreement than to make one and break it. And here he's saying, you are the witnesses. You're the ones that, uh, that have made this statement. All right, so then after verse 23, Now therefore put away, he said, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord your God of Israel, and the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and ordinance at, in Shechem. All right, so he says, Okay, you've made this agreement to serve God. Now go put away your idols. It's kind of hard to think that they still have idols after 40 years in the wilderness. After all these times, they still have idols in their homes and Joshua is saying, okay, now it's time to go get rid of those idols. Jacob went through a very similar thing in Bethel. When he finally got serious with God, 
He took all of the idols in his house, in his, in his, all the tents of his wives and his kids, and they buried the idols. Should have destroyed them, but he buried them. And he says, we're going to follow God. And so Joshua's saying, now, okay, you've agreed to follow God. Get rid of the idols. And these idols kept creeping back into their lives. Over and over, they kept creeping back into their lives, and they became like the people they were around. We're almost done with the book of Joshua, and in the book of Judges, they keep bringing the idols back. Then you get, then you get into the, to Israel and the kingdom, and they keep bringing the idols back, and getting, you know, later on a king will get rid of them, and then they'll bring them back, and they'll get rid of them, and they'll bring them back. They've had a big problem with idols and not following God. But, uh, yeah, it's been a problem. And, you know, again, we do the same thing where we don't follow God and we keep having idols pop up in our hearts, which is why we need other people in our life that can say, uh, I think you're getting a little far astray here. You know, you're, this is becoming, seems to be becoming pretty important to you. What happened to God? Because, you know, we put blinders on our eyes and don't see these things until God finally does something to knock us upside the head and, and reveal it to us. And sometimes we go years without realizing where we're headed. And God's, you know, and sometimes God has to be very harsh on us and actually knock, the, knock us on our butt so that we recognize that we're not following him. And it's very easy to get sucked into TV. It's very easy to get sucked into work, work up, being a workaholic and trying to get number one in the company. It's easy to get moved into all these different other gods other than, God, other than our God. And it takes a lot of work to stay focused on him because you've got to stay in the word. You've got to keep praying. You've got to keep focused on him. And it's hard to focus on somebody you can't see, which is why they kept going back to idols. Here's my idol. I can see it. I can, there it is. I know where to put my offering. I know where to pray to. This God that is everywhere that I can't see, you know, very nebulous, can be very hard to worship at times if you're not being very conscious of him. And this is what Joshua was saying. Go, get rid of your idols. And he says, he made a statute with them at Shechem. And Joshua, in verse 26, wrote these words in a book of the law and took a great stone and set it up under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it has heard all the words which the Lord has spoke to us, and it shall... Be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man to his inheritance. Now, we see this over and over, that they build some kind of monument. In this case, it was a stone, probably mul multiple stones built up in some kind of tower. Remember when they crossed the Jordan, they took 12 large stones and they made a big tower of stone saying, when you look at this, remember God... Open the, open the Jordan, split it, and we walked over on dry land. Over and over we see this, you know, look at these, look at these. And this is what I've shared with us. We need things in our life that we put in a book, a notebook, a computer page, whatever it might be, pictures on the wall, whatever it might be. This is what God has done in my life at some point. So that when we get to that low point in our life, we look back and say, oh, yes, God did this, God did this, God did this. Because what happens when you're in the low point in your life? God, you never do anything for me. You're just not trustworthy. And, you know, and, you know when you start dwelling on the negatives, how easy is it to keep going down? 
you know, you start with one negative thing and then all of a sudden you come back a year later and you realize you've just piled all kinds of negativity and then you're really getting some strange things that come to your mind, you know, and you know what's really bad is sometimes the very things that you used to think were your strength of your Christian walk will be something you look back on and say, man, how dumb was I? How could I have fallen into all that stuff? Or, or that teacher that I used to love is a terrible teacher. I can't imagine why I, you know, he's too short, too long, uh, uses too many big words, too, too little words, doesn't go deep enough, is too deep, you know. And you'll come up with all these reasons and you go, well, I loved it. You know, when I was following God, I loved it. But now that I'm not following God, all kinds of excuses, all kinds of problems. We do it so frequently and it's so easy. The further down we get to just start tearing up everything, including things that we used to re respect and love. And we need to be very careful. We need to guard our hearts against this type of stuff. And again, this is why we need brothers and sisters in our life that can say, hey, you know, you're going down the wrong path, you know, and there has to be somebody in your life that has permission to say, you need to get right. You need to get right. That doesn't mean we go to every single person that we see doing that, but if you really love them and you've been praying for them, go talk to them a little bit out of concern and love. But as I've said many times, if you're not caring enough to pray for them, you have no business trying to correct what they're doing wrong. If you don't care enough to pray for somebody, you have no business you know, saying, well, you know, you gotta get your life straightened up. Number one, if you pray for them, they might get their life straightened up just because of your prayers. <laughs> and you may not have to say a word. But if you're able to walk in and, and pray for them and then go, you know, I just love you so much and I'm really concerned about what I'm seeing, that concern should come across in your voice. How many of you have ever had somebody try to correct you and they don't love you and it's very obvious they don't love you? They're just criticizing you. All of us have had that. All of us have had that, whether it's from a Christian brother or a non-Christian brother, you know, Christian. You know, there's a huge difference. In, and the same thing can be said by both people, but that one who loves you has that attitude of, I really care, I don't want to see you hurt. And the other one's just trying to run your life or whatever. Uh, let's see if we can finish this last uh, section up. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Shavah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that out overlived or outlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord which he had done. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, they set, they buried in Shechem in a parcel of land which Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill that pertains to Phinehas, his son, which is given to him in Mount Ephraim. So here we just have a long, quite a list of people that died, but I want the, the thing to bring out is, Israel served God the entire time Joshua lived and all the people that had walked in the wilderness. They followed God after this, you know, go forward and, and serve God. They, they took it to heart. His message had great impact. Did every single person in Israel follow God? Probably not, but the majority of them followed God and they did so as long as there was anybody alive that remembered the wandering in the wilderness and all that God did. And then they started disobeying God. 
And then just this last little tack on, if you don't remember, when Joseph died, or just before he died, he says, I want you to take my bones with you when you leave. Okay, he did not want to be buried in Egypt. He says, when you leave, and I don't believe that he thought it was going to be three generations later, but when you leave, take my bones with you. Do not leave me here. What was probably part of his concern is he was number two man in Egypt. There probably, he would have been slated to be having a pyramid built for him and buried because he was the number two man. All right? And he goes, no, I want to be buried in our land. I want to be buried in the land that God is giving us. And so they obeyed and they carried, they carried the bones of Joseph around for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, here, here's their sarcophagus being carried around everywhere they go. Well, it was just bones, so okay, whatever, the, whatever the container weighed. And then the last thing it tells us is that Eli, Eli, uh, Eleazar passes away. And remember, he's the son of Aaron. He's been the second priest they run. And then Phineas is going to be the third high, pre, uh, high priest of, of Israel. And this ends the book of Joshua. Next, we'll start with the history book of Judges. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your statements of how we are not to be conformed to this world. Help each one of us that are listening to not be conformed to this world. Give us conviction. Keep us in the word so much that we will be convicted of any time that we're being conformed to this world. Help transform our minds. Help transform us into not listening to attacks against us and against others that we will be able to go forward. Help us to just live the way you want us to live in your son's name. Amen.